tonight I wanted to do... I wanted really a week to, to kind of regroup. So we're coming out of this series on pain and suffering. It's a tough series. I mean, I spoke to many of you that it's just hard. You know, it kind of drudges things up that are painful. And uh, some of you are very glad. You've told me you're very glad that that series is over with. Um, and before we start this psalm series, I thought, you know, I want to take a week in between. And I just want to kind of regroup and refocus us. Sometimes we can lose focus. Sometimes when we're moving, 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 and, you know, going through all of this stuff that we do, every week as a young uh, starting campus, it's easy to lose a little bit of focus and maybe forget why we're doing the things that we're doing. And then if we're not careful, we can lose some passion and we can lose some motivation to keep stretching ourselves and sacrificing ourselves. Sometimes if we're not careful, we could lose our true north. You know what I mean by that? Like if you're if you're trekking uh, through the desert, or you know you're you're uh, navigating through the woods, or you're sailing on a sea, or something like that, you need to know where your true north is because as you're going along, sometimes what's going on, the scenery around you can be deceiving, right? And you don't know up from down, you don't know north north from south, and uh, sometimes you know it can cause us to go like I I don't like I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing. But when you know your true north, it helps orient us and it keeps us moving in the direction that we need to be going. And so tonight, I want to just kind of focus us on our true north. And hopefully, as we do that, uh, it'll be encouraging to you and it'll kind of fan the flames that God has put in your heart, that God is lighting in your heart. I'm not sure if uh, you guys feel this as much as I do, but um, things are going to change. Like, we're on the cusp of some pretty significant changes as a campus. We've been meeting at the school here. Like, if you count kind of our practice services, our soft launch services as we call them. We've been meeting here for about a year and a half now and we're so grateful for the schools and what they've uh, done to allow us to do this, but it's going to change soon. All of a sudden, we're going to have this building that we can do different kinds of ministries, and it's going to change our Saturday night, and it's going to change our Sunday morning. And here's what I know. We've got to be united with all of this. You know, we've got to all be on the same page. We've got to tackle this together. We've got to be laser-focused, pushing in the same direction, be united as a body, right, with a lot of different parts. And as we move into, you know, a nice comfortable building with uh, nice cushy seats, right? I know these benches are hard. We're all looking forward to some nice soft seats, right? As we do that, the temptation that we're going to face, you're going to face it and I'm going to face it, is to get comfortable and to relax. And guys, listen, we can't do it. We can't do it. Christianity is not about getting comfortable and it's not about relaxing. You know, you sit here tonight and and maybe you're investigating all of this about Jesus. This is probably a really good thing for you to know. Nowhere in the Bible, when you look at what a follower of Jesus looks like, nowhere in the Bible do you see somebody whose life is comfortable and relaxing. It's just not there. That's not what a disciple of Jesus looks like. And so we can't let our lives become that as we get a little bit more comfortable, as we have a building and all these new opportunities. When you read the Bible, you see people that are followers of Jesus who are dying to themselves, right? Like they're, they're not living for themselves anymore. They're living for Jesus. And they're making decisions every day to give their lives away. We talk about that a lot around here. To give our lives away and invest in others and help them and love them and care for them and introduce them to the Jesus who loves them. 
And so tonight, you know, we sit here. God has put us right smack in the middle of Barberton. And it's this incredible opportunity for us to be uh, united, moving in the same direction, to reach a community that Jesus loves. You know, there's, I, I know there's need in every community. I get that. Man, there is so much need in Barbara. In, this, in these walls of the school, there is so much need. There's so much struggle. There's so much heartache. And God has put us here to make a difference. And so tonight, I'm excited to, to kind of dig into that and, uh, and talk about, kind of all get on the same page and talk about what that looks like for us to do that together. Let me ask you a question. If somebody were to, to come up to you and say, so, like, what is Grace Church all about anyways? Like, maybe this is somebody that, you know, you've invited to church and, you know, maybe they're going through hard things in their life. You're like, why don't you come and just check it out? Uh, if they were to ask you, what is Grace Church all about anyway? Don't answer out loud. But what would you answer them? Like, think about that in your mind. Like, how, how would you answer that question? What's Grace Church all about anyway? If somebody were to ask me that, what's Grace Church all about anyway? Here's what I would answer them. The gospel the gospel. The gospel is what drives us as grace. It's so important for us as we talk about like taking the next steps, getting a building, kind of moving, infiltrating this community, loving this community. The gospel is what drives us. We're not driven to try to make uh, more moral people. That ain't what drives us. We're not driven to try to make more knowledgeable people or more intelligent people. We're not driven to try to make happier people. We're not driven to try to grow a big church or win some church of the year award. That's not what drives us. What drives us is the gospel. And the gospel is all about Jesus, right? I mean, that's what, that's what it's all about. The, the purpose statement, if you're visiting tonight, this is probably a good thing for you to know. So this is like the, the purpose statement of Grace Church. We probably don't talk about this all that much, but it's really important. The purpose statement of Grace Church is this. The purpose of Grace Church is to ignite a gospel-centered movement by knowing it, living it, and giving it away. It, as we talk about know it, live it, give it away, it is the gospel. I'll say it again. To ignite, the purpose of Grace Church is to ignite a gospel-centered movement. That's our purpose. That's why we exist. Helping people know it, live it, and give it away. Give the gospel away. It is the gospel of Jesus. Like, this, this is us. This is who we are. We believe unashamedly that the gospel is the hope of the world. The good news about Jesus dying on the cross to reconcile us to him, to, to reconcile us to a God who loves us. That's the hope of the world. It's the gospel that changes everything. And sometimes like, we can look at the gospel and we can go, the gospel, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard the gospel. I've accepted Jesus into my life and now I'm saved. I'm good. I got it. Well, that's one component of the gospel, right? The gospel is what saves us. The good news about Jesus, we recognize who he is, we trust him, it saves us. One day we're going to be with him forever. But the gospel is also what transforms us. It's not about me you know, crossing a line and making a one-time decision. It's about every day for the rest of my life, the good news about Jesus Christ changing me, the implications of the gospel changing me. As I think about what it means that God loves me so much that he sent his son to live and die for me, the implications in my life are all over the place. And the more I understand it, the more it changes how I live. The gospel is all about Jesus. 
So here's what, here's what I want to do tonight. Like as we got, I got a week to, to refocus, to regroup. I want to get us all on the same page. And here's what I want to do. Three things, very simple. Three things that I want to do. First thing is I want to just look back at what Jesus has done. I want to look back at what he's done. And I want to do it um, by looking at uh, one of the things that Jesus said in John 10. Actually, one of the things that he calls himself. In John 10, Jesus calls himself our good shepherd. And so I want to kind of just dig into that. It is loaded with meaning that he's our shepherd, that we're his sheep. So I want to dig into that because it shows us what Jesus has done, what God has done for us. And then second, I want to look at what he asks us to do. So God has done amazing things for us, but then God asks us to do things. And in fact, Jesus specifically prays. I don't know if you know this. Jesus specifically prays a prayer. We have one prayer in the Bible that he prayed for you and for me. Very, very specifically. It's in John 17. I want to look at that. Okay? So I want to do those two things. And then at the end, I want to end our time a little bit differently this week. So normally, after sermon, we do a little bit more worship. This week, I want to do a little different. This week, I want to end our time praying together. Okay? And we'll take a little bit of an extended time doing that. I think it'll be powerful for us. So very simply, that's what I want to do tonight. I want to look at what God has done. I want to look at what he asks us to do. And then I want to spend some time praying together. And here's why. I need to remember this stuff. Like, I can lose focus very easily. We all can. We got all kinds of distractions going on. You all walked in here with all kinds of things going on in your life. I know you did. And so did I. And it's very easy to lose focus and be distracted. And I need to be reminded of these things. And I think we all do. So I'm excited to dig in and kind of get on the same page with this. So if you've got a Bible, flip it open to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Um, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we've got a whole table full of them back there. If you raise your hand, Doug will make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one of your own, by the way, you're welcome to take one of those that we have back there. I'd actually love for you to have that. There you go. That's good. Um, it's interesting how much we learn from God or learn about God by some of the metaphors that he uses to describe himself. Like he, he describes himself in a lot of different ways through a lot of different metaphors. And each of them bring out different parts of his character, different parts of his person. So, for example, he calls himself our father, right? What does it mean that God's our father? It means he loves us. It means he cares for us. It means he protects us, right? He calls himself our king. What does it mean that, that God is our king? Well, it means he's powerful, that he's worthy of our honor, of our respect. He's our master, right? He calls himself our judge. What does that mean? Well, it means he's just. It means he makes decisions, right? He makes judgments, just judgments. He calls himself a thief. Think about that one. Like, what part of the character of God does that bring out? Well, it brings out he's going to come back at any time. Like a thief in the night, right? He calls himself the gate, the vine, all these things. But one of the metaphors that God uses to describe himself, that, that Jesus actually, God the Son uses to describe himself, is as a good shepherd. And I want to look at that together tonight. And as we dig into this, and we're going to read this here in just a second. As we read it, I want you to be asking yourself this question. What does this tell me about God? Like why, why did Jesus refer to himself this way? What is the fact that he's our good shepherd, and then by implication, we're sheep? What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about me? Okay? So I want your, your wheels to be turning as we dig into this together. Ready? John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. That's what it says. So this is Jesus talking. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. 
the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I receive from my Father. Okay, so this is a loaded passage, right? Like there's a lot of things going on in this passage. Uh, since I've been a Christian, since I've been a follower of Jesus, this is, this is one of the most powerful metaphors to me that God uses to describe himself. Like I think about this, the fact that he's a shepherd. We're going to dig into this in a second. But I think about this, that he's our good shepherd. Like how much that helps me understand his heart and who he is and what he does. And then the fact that we're sheep what that tells me about him, right? And what he thinks of us. And it helps me understand the gospel. So I want to dig into this a little bit. So um, uh, let's start with, with us. Let's start with the sheep. You probably heard this before. Sheep are really dumb. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sheep are just, they're, they're dumb animals. Like, they're kind of pathetic animals. I was, I was reading an article that this guy named Tim Challies wrote about sheep, and it was great. It was so funny. And here's how he described sheep. Ready? He described them as dumb, directionless, and defenseless. <laughs> this is what God compares you and me to. Dumb, directionless, and defenseless. So he wrote in this article, he wrote about this true story. This is a true story that happened in Turkey. Um, it kind of illustrates just how dumb sheep are. I'll read it to you. I'll throw it up on the screen. Here's a story. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their death this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their death in a ravine in Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. So get what's going on here. This is sheep. Ready? The shepherd takes a little break. They go off and they have breakfast. They neglect the sheep. One of them just sort of wanders off and goes off a cliff. And then all his buddies are like, where'd Bob go? I think he went that way. And one by one, they walk right off of the cliff following their leader. Like, how dumb can you be, right? Like, can you imagine what that scene looked like? Like, it stinks for the first 400 of them, but by the time you get to, like, 500, it'd be less like a sheep jumping off onto a big fluffy pillow, right? That's what it would have been like. Sheep are just, they're just dumb. Like, they're, they're dumb animals. That's who they are. And kind of going along with that, they're directionless. This is interesting. Sheep are prone to wander. Like, even if they have everything that they need in the spot that they're at, you know, beautiful green pastures, plenty of grass, plenty of water to drink, protection from other animals, even if they're a place that they have everything that they need, eventually they'll just wander off. Like, that's just what they do. Like, no sense at all. Just directionless. And they have no defense against predators. Like, think about this. They have no defense against predators. Left by themselves, they will eventually become another animal's dinner. 
Guaranteed. Like, guaranteed, right? This guy, Chalice, he, he, he wrote that animals, other animals, most other animals, when they're encountering danger or a predator, they do one of two things. They either fight, right? They either fight the, the predator off, or they try to, or they flight, they, they take off and they run away, or they posture. By posture, like, you know, you like bark or growl or intimidate another animal. Listen, some animals fight. Sheep can't fight. They, they, they have, like, no defenses to them. You know, no claws, no, no you know, big sharp fangs, no quills, no venom, not even, like, a big tail to whack other things with. You know what sheep have? Wool. They got wool. Like, the, the, the only thing that they can hope to do is cause the animal that's eating them to choke on a furball or something, right? I mean... They have, like, no defense. And they can't, they're not fast either, like, so flight, running away, isn't a good option for them either. They're not fast, they're not agile, they don't have wings, they can't, like, burrow into a hole in the ground to get away. And they can't really intimidate another animal either, you know? Like, they don't posture. Dogs, you know, will bark and they'll growl and they'll show their teeth. You know, lions and bears roar. Gorillas will beat their chest. A a rattlesnake will, you know, rattle its tail. A cat will hiss. A sheep just baz, right? Like, that's all they do. They they can just... You know, it's interesting. You know how a sheep actually protects itself. It's interesting. They flock together. Like that's what they do to protect themselves. They flock together hoping the predator will eat one of their friends and not themselves. <laughs> like that's their defense. <laughs> Guys, listen. I'm a sheep. I guess this tells me a lot about myself. This is the animal that God compares us to. God describes us as a sheep, and in many ways, and I want, you to, I want you to take this the right way, in many ways, he kind of expects us to act like a sheep, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what he expects us to act like, it's, which is humbling, right? And if I'm honest, it's pretty accurate. So, so this passage, it tells me a lot about me. You know, as I look at sheep and I think about sheep, like this is kind of how God, who God compares us to. But even more, this passage tells me a lot about God. And there's a lot that we could get into here. But just think about what this passage tells us about God and the gospel. He's our shepherd. Scratch that. He's our good shepherd, right? There's so many things that a good shepherd does. A good shepherd has the best for his sheep in mind at all times, no matter what. He actually loves them. He actually cares for them. And he gives them his attention. You know, go back to that story of the, of the 1,500 sheep walking off a cliff. That's the story of a bad shepherd, right? Those are shepherds that neglected their sheep, and we see what happened to them. One wanders off, and then they all wander off. But a good shepherd loves his sheep, and he closely watches over them, and he'll actually leave the 1,499 of them, safe with another shepherd, but he'll leave them to go search for the one that's wandered off. The good shepherd loves and cares for his sheep, and he leads them, right? The good shepherd leads his sheep, He takes them to the right places, the places that are best for them, the places where they're going to have enough food, where they're going to have enough water, where they're going to be protected, right? Green pastures, quiet waters, a place to rest. Read Psalm 23. If you haven't read Psalm 23, it's another passage in the Bible about how God is our shepherd and what he provides for us. So a good shepherd loves his sheep. A good shepherd leads his sheep. And a good shepherd protects his sheep. 
believe it or not, a good shepherd will actually be willing to sacrifice their own life for their sheep. That's a crazy thought. We have an example of it. If you read in the Bible about David, King David. David was the second king in Israel, the most famous king in Israel. He was a shepherd before he was king. It says in the, in the Bible that David actually fended, as he was a shepherd, he fended off a lion and a bear to protect his sheep. Like willing to lay down his life for his flock. And I don't know how it sounds to you, you know, when I say that, that, that a shepherd's willing to sacrifice their own safety uh, for the life of their sheep. I don't know how that sounds to you. But stop and think about what a remarkable thing that is. So we just got done talking about sheep. They're really dumb, pathetic animals. <laughs> like, they're, they're kind of worthless animals in a lot of ways. And the shepherd, comparatively, the shepherd is really valuable, right? I mean, you have a sheep, and then you have a shepherd who's a human being, like comparatively super valuable. He loves the sheep. He loves them so much that he's willing to sacrifice himself for them. Like, think about how crazy that is. I mean, it's almost absurd. And here's the thing. A good shepherd does this voluntarily, They don't don't do it because someone else is compelling them to do it. No one makes them do it. But they're willing to do it because they like deeply love their sheep. Guys, listen, this this is so much the heart of the gospel. I'm a sheep. I am a dumb, directionless, defenseless sheep. And forgive me, but so are you. So are you. And, and many might just think that we're big, stupid balls of fluff, but not our shepherd, not our good shepherd. To our good shepherd, we are incredibly valuable. He thinks the world of us. And he didn't just lay his life down for us in theory. He does it in reality. He did it in reality. And not because somebody forced him to. If you remember what Jesus said, he did, it, he did it by his own accord. Look back at John uh, 10, look at verse 14. Jesus talking, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He goes on, he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He goes on in verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. Guys, let that sink in. Just, just let that sink in. That's how important you are to God. That's how much he loves you. He knows that we tend to do stupid things. He knows that we tend to wander. He knows that we tend to get ourselves in situations where we need rescued or we need protected. And even so, he thinks the world of us. And some of you need to hear that tonight. Like right where you're at, whatever you've done, you are so precious to God. He knows everything. There's no, there's no secrets with him. He knows everything. You completely from top to bottom. And he loves you right where you're at. He's your perfect shepherd who laid down his life for you. And, and here's the thing. He doesn't just accept us. But he has plans for us. Like, it's not just like, I love you, you're kind of a misfit, you're kind of rotten, you're kind of messed up, I love you right where you're at, I'm just going to keep loving you. It's not just that. It's I love you, you're a misfit, you're a sheep, but I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I got plans for you. I got, I got plans for your life to use you and to do amazing things in you and through you. 
guys, this is the gospel. Like this is, this is the gospel. Jesus, the good shepherd, came to lay his life down for his sheep, to save his sheep. God the Son became flesh and blood, ultimately to give his life for us who do stupid sheep-like things, right? You got a good shepherd who loves you, and he's God. Do you know that, um, I said this earlier, do you know that in the Bible, like we have this recorded time where Jesus prays specifically for us like for people so so there's plenty of times in the bible where jesus is praying for other people there's times in the bible where he's praying for himself but there's a very specific time in the bible where he prays for us people that would come later that would come to follow him and so right before jesus is is killed on the cross right before he's hung on the cross he's together with his disciples and they're praying and uh, this is what jesus prays for them this is powerful so he's praying about a few things he prays for his disciples and then in john 17 we'll it up on the screen in John 17 verse 20 this is what he prays he says I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message through the disciples message that's us I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world get this may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Guys, that's so powerful. What's he, what's he praying in a nutshell? He's praying that you and I would believe and be united in Jesus so that the world would believe in him and know just how much God loves them. Like, that, that's his prayer. He prays that by the way that we live our lives, by the way that we live out the gospel, the world would look at us and they would go, man, there's something to that. Like this, this Jesus that you talk about, there's, some, there's something there because you're different. I, I want what you have. I, I want what you call truth. I want that in my life. That's what Jesus prays for us, that our lives would be this incredible example to the world. Jesus says that they'll recognize you by your love, right? Our love for each other, our love for him would be such an example that the world would know that there's a God in heaven who loves them. A little bit later at the end of Matthew, Jesus commissions his disciples and us. This is what it says. It's called the Great Commission. That's what it says. He's talking to them. He says, go, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm going to be with you always. Your good shepherd's going to be with you always to the very end of the age. What's he saying? Go out, teach people about who I am. Help them to get to know the truth. Help them to get to know about me. And listen, I'll be with you every step of the way. You're not going to be a sheep without a shepherd just wandering aimlessly. You're going to be a sheep with a shepherd with you through it all. Guys, God has given us the gospel. God has given us the incredible news about Jesus Christ. That he loves us so much. That God the Father loves us so much that he sent God the Son to take on flesh and blood, to become one of us, and ultimately to die for us. He's entrusted that to you and to me. And he didn't do that so that we'd hoard it. He didn't do it so we keep it to ourselves. 
You know, God doesn't, God doesn't save us just for us. God doesn't give us the good news about Jesus just for us. If it was just for us, once we came to know him, why wouldn't he just take us up to be with him? But he doesn't. He leaves us here. We have a mission. We have a calling in our life to go represent Jesus to the world. And the way that we do that, I want you to feel the weight of this. The way that we do that will either push people away from God or they'll pull people toward him. I, 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 said, I said it this way. So in our purpose statement, the it, know it, live it, give it away, it is the gospel, right? So if it is the gospel, the way that we know it and live it will help us give it away. The way that we know the gospel and live the gospel will help us give the gospel away to a world that absolutely needs it. Like, think about that. Think about it in your life. Why are we here? Well, we want to get to know God better, right? We're not here to check something off a list. We're not here because it's the right thing to do because I don't have anything else to do on a Saturday night. That's not why we're here. We're here to get to know the God of the universe better so that we could live for him better, so that we could give the good news about Jesus to other people in the world that absolutely need it. Like That is an incredible privilege. Guys, that's our bullseye. When you think about Grace Church, when you think about Grace Church Barberton campus or any other campus, that's our bullseye. This is our focus as a church. We are a gospel-centered movement. And here's the cool thing. God's still in the business of using flawed, imperfect, broken people to accomplish his purposes. Like, I love that. Sometimes that blows my mind. Like, God... What's your plan for reaching the world, for helping people come to know about Jesus? We got an internet, we got text messages. Like, what's your plan? You guys. Us. But I'm a sheep. You guys. You're my plan. And I'm your shepherd. And I will be with you always. But you guys are the ones to go. Guys, listen. Like, what's your part? Think about that in your own life. Like, make this very personal. What's your part? What's God calling you to? You got, you got, we all have these different circles of influence, these different relationships, these different gifts and skills and experiences, all of these things. What's your part? Who's God calling you toward? You know, who's God put in your life that he wants you to love on and care for and introduce to Jesus to show how much God loves them? whole thing is we're in this together. You know, like, we don't have to do any of this by ourselves. We're united in helping other people experience the life-transforming gospel personally. This is a personal thing, right? Like, we're, we're about people having a personal experience with the gospel, which begs the question, have you experienced him personally? Have you experienced the gospel personally in your life? See, here's the truth. I know this is true. It's sad. It depresses me a little bit. I know that there's people, maybe here tonight, people among us that know a lot about Jesus. You know? Like you've heard the stories. You've heard the story of the Good Shepherd. You know a lot of Jesus. But personally, don't know Jesus. Don't have a relationship with him. He's a, he's a person. He has personality. He's not some distant deity. 
He's the God of the universe who knows your name. He created you exactly how he wanted you. Perfectly, intimately. Do you know your good shepherd? Do you know his voice? We got all kinds of other competing voices in our world, right? All kinds of other voices vying for our attention, vying for our ear. Do you know his voice? And have you committed to him? Like your life. One of the things that I want, the thing I want more than anything else in this life is for Jesus to be the most important thing about me. And I battle that every day, just like you guys. I want him to be the most important thing about me in my life. Have you opened up every part of you to him? Like sometimes we can hold on to these, these things that maybe we're embarrassed of or we're ashamed of or for some reason we don't want to let go. Maybe it's things that we've done or things that have happened to us. And we'll let God into some of our lives, but not the dark corners. He already knows, right? He knows everything. He knows all of the dirt on all of us. And he loves us as our good shepherd. He knows we're sheep. Dumb, directionless, defenseless. He knows it. But when we open ourselves up to him, man, there's incredible acceptance. There's incredible peace, and hope, and love, and freedom. Here, here's what the Bible tells us so clearly. Three verses. I want you to see these. This is in Acts 3.19. It says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Sometimes we can look at God and think, if I, if I go to him, if I pursue him, it's not going to be refreshing. It's going to be damning. He's going to condemn me. Like when we go to him, repent means turn, right? Wherever we're going, we turn, change directions, and follow him. When we do that, it's like times of refreshment. Like there's peace. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus never said, I'm a way. I'm one way. There's lots of others. He says he's the way. Salvation is found in no one else. Jesus left no room for a multiplicity of gods or a multiplicity of ways to, to be forgiven by the Father. He said, I'm the way. It's through me. 15, 11 says, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as we are. And again, some of you need to hear that tonight. God doesn't call us to clean ourselves up before we come to him. Because that's not what he expects us to do. Sometimes we can get it so backwards, like, well, God's good, God's holy, I must therefore be pretty good and pretty holy before I go to him. I gotta clean up my life before I can pray, before I can start following him. No, that's not how it is. Just as we are, right? That's how he wants us, just as we are.